Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Well, Jeff has preached the beginning of my message, and Rod has preached the end of my message, so we can all just go home early today, right? Um, no, I'm, I'm excited, and it's a privilege to, to be here again, uh, just in the space of a few weeks. It was only the end of February that I, I shared last, so uh, yeah, so I'm just going to take a sip of water, and off we go. Actually, I'm going to leave the top off. So I want to talk to you this morning, it's going to be a little bit different than your typical Palm Sunday message. I want to talk to you this morning about living a life of compassion, um, and we're going to tie it into Palm Sunday. Um, it's obviously Jesus, and even in that, that moment that Rod was talking about as he came over and he wept over Jerusalem, um, you know, we remember that today as he began to walk towards those, those last few days of his life. But um, I'll tell you a quick story to begin about a, a couple who had recently been married, and they woke up one morning and they were having this argument about um, who should make the coffee. And I don't know if any of you husbands and wives, if you guys ever have that dispute. My wife's not in here this service. She's in with the kids. But she, uh, she always makes the coffee or preps it at least the night before. So at least the, the, the worst, the, the, the most hardest thing that I have to do is go push the button in the morning. And then it, the coffee brews. But So this couple's arguing over it. And so being a good Christian woman, she says, uh, I'm going to go to the scriptures. And I'm going to find this so I can prove beyond the shadow of a doubt <laughs> that I, he, he's supposed to make the coffee, it's not me. And so she searches the scriptures, he comes to her husband, she says, I found it in the scriptures, it's right there. He says, I don't believe you. He says, show me. And she opens up and she flips up in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of you are a little slow this morning, you didn't get it. Some of you already heard that, but Hebrews. So Hebrews the coffee. So there it is. Um, so Exodus chapter 34 and verse 5, living a life of compassion. Um, and, and Jeff mentioned in, in his communion the, the lavish love of God. And it talks about it here. And this, this passage right here is, is the second time in Exodus after the Israelites have come out of Egypt and they've come into the wilderness and God has started to give them the Ten Commandments and make the, the covenant with them. And this is the second time around because the first time it didn't work out so well. And so this is where Moses, he's, he got angry with Israel and broke the tablets and then had to go back and God said, okay, let's, I'll, I'm gracious, I'll give you a do-over. And that's where we find this passage here in Exodus 34 and verse 5. And the Lord um, speaks about himself as he's making this covenant with Moses and with the people of Israel. And it says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, speaking of Moses, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. He is a God of compassion. Amen? So, Father, as we look into your word this morning, I ask that you would grace my lips to speak that which you would have for us this morning. 
Not what we had in the first service, Father, for right now in this moment, for those of us who are here at this service, ask you in Jesus' name for your grace, your enabling power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the guys online. Mike, if you're there, welcome from Tampa. Um, we, I want to talk about three, we're going to talk about compassion, but I want to talk about three words that we kind of relate to the idea of compassion, and it's sympathy, empathy, and compassion. We kind of use those words interchangeably at different times, and so I want to just kind of go through the definition of what they mean because they all have a place and they relate to compassion. And so sympathy, if we sympathize with people, and for those of you, you can ask my kids, I am not, not the most sympathetic person. You, my kids want sympathy. They don't usually come to me for sympathy Amen. or empathy for that matter. Um, sometimes I have compassion on them. Um, but so sympathy is, is a feeling of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune. Amen? So it's feelings of pity and sorrow for someone. So we see a sad situation. We see the news is filled with sad situations. Don't watch the news very much anymore because it's a little bit discouraging and, and sometimes a bit skewed. But we see these sad situations, and we sometimes become desensitized to them because we see them so much. It's just ever-present in front of us. There's sad situations. And we, so we find at times we feel these feelings of sympathy, of pity and sorrow for people's misfortune. The recent tornadoes that have happened, it's tragic, and we see it. Um, and then there's another level of people, like Darcy. She's here. I don't know if she's here for the rest of the service. Or this, but uh, that feel empathy. They, they are feeling people, and they can actually take themselves and put themselves in the place of people. They feel the very feelings, those, those people that we have sorrow for, they actually can share in the feelings. And I, I, I was, um, about a year and a half ago, we have a good, good, had a good friend, Peter Weber, who's a pastor, planted a church in Calgary in Canada. And uh, Peter and I got to know each other over years in South Africa when, when Sarah and I were there. And Peter was diagnosed with stage, stage three, I think it was stage, at the time stage three or stage four, um, cancer, bile duct cancer. So it's a very serious situation. And we, over months and weeks, had, had been praying for him. And there was this one morning as I was praying for Peter that the Lord just impacted me. It was, it was a very, very dynamic experience that I know I experienced in the Spirit. And he gave me empathy. And I began to feel and experience what I felt like Peter was feeling. And so he gave me that empathy, but it was more, it was a really spiritual thing. And it happened, it lasted for about six weeks. And, and I just kind of went through and I would, be like, I would wake up in the morning and I'd be like, Sarah, I, I know things aren't going well with Peter this morning. We need to pray for him. And um, uh, so uh, just through this situation, you know, one morning we were, we were at our, our, our gathering and had, right in the middle of worship, I was leading worship, and I felt, guys, we need to just stop right now, and we need to pray for Peter. And so we stopped right then, and everybody was praying. We're praying, storming the gates of heaven, and it just, in a moment, it broke. And I felt the release in me. And I said, guys, I really have no idea what, what happened, but something's happened. Either Peter's healed now, or he's, he's, he's going to be with the Lord. And within, within a few days of that experience, he did pass on. And he, so he's with the Lord now. He's in a better place. He's healed. That's right. And so it's sad. We don't always have the answers, but I just, 
I had a, 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 an experience where the Lord brought me to a place of really empathizing and understanding, sharing in the feeling and experience. Um, and yet there's another level uh, of, of this, and it's called compassion. And compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who's stricken by misfortune. So it sounds very similar to sympathy, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. And so there's, there's a desire as the Lord gives us sympathy, as he gives us empathy, there's a desire that comes with compassion for us to be a help and an answer in the problem, whatever is happening. And so the Lord is calling us to be a people of compassion. Amen. Just going to take you through some scriptures, uh, and then we're going to get into a few points that will help us in living a life of compassion. Um, first few scriptures are about the Father being compassionate. We read that scripture in Exodus where he talks about himself as being a God of compassion and mercy. In Psalm verse 103 and verse 13, it says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. And then in the New Testament, James chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So the Father is filled with compassion. It says he has compassion for those who fear him. It says he has compassion for those who long for him. Jesus is our compassionate advocate. Amen? Amen. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, um, it says, When Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we're going to just watch a quick video clip. Um, it's from, from The Chosen. Um, it's just a kind of funny little piece in here just to kind of give us a little bit of perspective. And then we're going to read some more scriptures and circle back. So here's that clip. You're sending us? An apostle is the same as a messenger. One who... I know what it means, Matthew. That's why I'm asking. You are my leaders. And for this mission I have for you, it's best that you spread out and not be concentrated in one place. I, I don't understand. I'm going to go home to Nazareth for a time. And while I'm there, I'm sending you out in every direction, two by two, specifically to our people only. Every direction, Rabbi? Yes, but not to the Gentiles. Not yet. That will come in time but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, just as Joshua led the 12 tribes to take the promised land. You will proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while you are on this mission, you will heal the sick and the lame by anointing them with oil. You will cast out demons. You will clean... Why are you all looking at me like that? Uh, could, could you just repeat that one more time?
that's just a funny little clip. I mean, it's a, it's a great, just kind of brings us into that room. And so that, right after this scripture in Matthew 9, the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, just following this is where Jesus sends the 12 out. Um, and so we're going to circle back to that a little bit later as it relates to the, one of the points I want to make. But it's just, it must have been, it was very early on in Jesus' ministry that he sent them out. I mean, he, his beginning of his ministry is Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is in chapter 9. It's, it's not that far along. And they're like, uh, James, so that's, it was big, big James, and they called Big James. He's like, uh, so you're sending us? And, and so it, it's, it's just, uh, it would have been amazing to just be there and see, see that and participate in that. But we're, we're going to circle back to that in a few minutes. Um, so Jesus is compassionate. So he had compassion on them, and he sent the 12 because he saw that the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, it says, And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. It's a common theme. Matthew 15 and Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have had nothing to eat, and I do not wish to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And we know what happened out of that, that out of a couple loaves and a few fish, that Jesus fed 5,000. And the disciples, the apostles began to see that with God, nothing is impossible. Move with compassion. Matthew 20, and says, And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained sight and followed. In Mark chapter 1, verse 41, it says, And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and said, I am willing to be cleansed. So Jesus was filled. He lived a life filled with compassion. And he's calling us to a life of compassion. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10 Jesus was dining with the tax collectors. It says, Then it happened as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in the Amplified, it says this. It says, I desire compassion for those in distress and not animal sacrifice, for I did not come to call to repentance the self-proclaimed righteous who see no need to change, but sinners, those who recognize their sin and actively seek forgiveness. It's calling us to a life of compassion. So I want to give us hopefully five keys not the only keys, but five keys that might help us along the way as we endeavor to, to live a life of compassion that Jesus is calling us to. So the first, first point is live daily with purpose, but be willing to be interrupted. We live in a time where we're so busy. We're so burdened with tasks and information and decisions and work and family and activities. There's so much happening and sometimes it's hard to pause. I Honestly, I found it this week. I've really had a hard time this week in preparing because I kept the time kept getting squeezed and there was things that kept pushing in for time and attention. But God's calling us to, to live daily on purpose, but we have to be willing to be interrupted if we're going to see his kingdom advance through us. Amen? Yeah. 
So we have to pay attention to those around us with intentionality and awareness. Adam spoke last week about, part of, about the invitation to go and the realization that our mission is daily. And I thought of this quote as I was thinking about that this week. It's from Lauren Cunningham, who was the founder of YWAM. He said, missions is not crossing the sea. It's seeing the cross. Amen. Say that again. Missions is not crossing the sea. It's seeing the cross. And so we have to see the cross daily. Jesus was constantly interrupted. He's walking through the crowds of people as he had healed people. And the woman with the issue of blood in faith reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And there's, there's actually a really funny scene in The Chosen about that too. Because there was hundreds of people pressing in all around Jesus. So people were bumping, you know, they're bumping elbows and elbowing and people, the disciples are trying to push people away. And Jesus stops in the middle of it and he says, whoa, someone touched me. And they're, they're probably looking at him like, yeah, yeah, somebody touched you, sure. Hundreds of people probably touched you. He's like, no, someone touched me and something happened. So he was interrupted as he was going on his way. Amen. Samaritan woman at the well. Disciples had gone to, to find food, and Jesus was just finding a shady spot and was interrupted on the way. Amen? Lazarus, when Lazarus died, and they had come to him, and Jesus wasn't planning on going to Bethany then. But they came and said, hey, your buddy Lazarus is sick. Can you come now? Because he's going to die. And Jesus did delay a couple days, but he eventually went. Um, and we know what happened, and Lazarus was raised. Centurion that came to Jesus as he was ministering and said, hey, my son is not well. Can I interrupt you? And Jesus said, show me the way. I'll come to your house. And the centurion said, no, 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 you're busy. Don't even have to come. Just say the word. So it was just a short interruption. They knew, and Jesus healed him. But Jesus allowed himself. He was prepared for what the task at hand, but he also allowed for the interruptions. And we need to be people that are willing to allow for the interruptions that we encounter daily. So that's point one. Live daily on purpose, but be willing to be interrupted. Second point is we need to err on the side of action, however small the opportunity. I would propose to you that we have dozens of opportunities every day to reach out with compassion for people. Dozens of opportunities. They're right there in front of us. And John, this quote may not be John Wesley, but it's most attributed to John Wesley. He says, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times to get you can, to all the people you can, if ever you can. Amen. Amen? I say it again. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Amen? He calls us to action. We don't need to wait for the next tornado or hurricane. Just to, last week, I was sitting in my office. My office in the front of the house looks out the window, uh, and I could see we have some, some elderly neighbors that live kind of opposite. And 
I could see their, their trash can had blown over. It was one of those windy days, and they had, it was kind of piled up, and it had fallen over. And I, and I was actually sitting there, and I literally was on trying to get, I was going to be on a call in about three minutes, and I was like, ah, I can't really go out and help, but I don't want her to have to go out. So I said to Sarah, I said, hey, is there any way that you can go out and help? And so she did. She put on her rubber gloves, and she went out, and she helped. And the, by the time she got out there, the lady was already out there, so they got to kind of work together and do it. But just a simple opportunity. Just this last week, I was at the grocery store, and there was an, was an older lady. She had her cart piled high. With, she had three cases of, you know, the 30 packs of water bottles, and she's trying to push this cart. And I'm like, hey, do you need some help with that? And I think she, she, she didn't speak English well, and so she, I don't think she heard me at first. But then, like, she's kind of pushing out the a thing, and... It's kind of a little bit, kind of the sidewalk goes a little bit downhill at Publix, and the cart kind of ran and crashed into the those you know barriers that that are there, and her phone went flying. And so I was like, okay, I need to help this lady. So you know, go pick up her phone, hand her phone to her, say, hey, can I help you load those in the car? It's just the simple everyday opportunities that we never know what opportunity the Lord's going to give us in that moment. He might give us, well, I'm jumping ahead of myself. He might give us a prophecy or a word of knowledge or just a word of encouragement. Even just that act of kindness might be enough. Just, just on the journey for somebody of experiencing and encountering the love of God. Amen? So let's err on the side of action. It says sometimes we feel overwhelmed like the disciples did in that scene. We don't know where to start. It's like, oh. You know, John, if you continue on in that scene, the other John says, hey, we're not qualified for this. We, we've only been with you a little while. We're not qualified to do this. How, how are we going to go out and how are we going to do anything? And Jesus says, I have given you everything you need. Amen? Um, so this, the third point, second point, is error on the side of action. The third point is we need to pray. Now, prayer does a lot of things. We need to not underestimate the power of prayer. The world is constantly trying to break down, to disparage, to disregard, to, to make a mockery of prayer and, and how the insignificance to, to marginalize prayer, if you will. But I want to tell you that prayer is, is powerful. Yeah. Prayer is powerful. Time and time again, I, there, was, there was a season of time we as a church in, in Richmond, Virginia, we would spend time, like as soon as like events, things would happen, we would get a, a prayer request and things would happen. And we'd say, okay, guys, we're going we're gonna to pray for this and we're going to see it happen. And I get it time and time again. And these were people who were outside of the church. They weren't in our church family. We would pray and we would get phone calls like even same day saying, hey, we just got an answer to this. And it was like we can see the power of prayer. The power of prayer is powerful. It says in uh, James tells us that the, the fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal them, hear them, and heal their land. Amen? Amen. And so there's a twofold purpose in the praying. One, we need to pray for the situations and not be afraid. We don't need an eloquent prayer. We just need a point of contact where the Lord can come in and heaven can touch earth, touch someone's life. 
So there's, there's that. We need to pray in those situations. We also need to pray for ourselves to be encouraged. Amen? Jesus said, wherever two agree in my name, it'll be done by my Father in heaven. So we need to pray. The fourth point, practicing using the gifts of the Spirit. We need to, as we go out, as we're walking around daily, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and says, earnestly pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So how many of you, just to show of hands, how many of you have ever given someone a prophetic word? So it's a good, good number of people. If you haven't, I would encourage you to go for it. We had that workshop with Milani. I didn't get to, to come to that, but it was great just having her around and hearing the stories and the testimonies about what happens in those things as we begin to exercise and just flex our little spiritual muscles a little bit. You know, there's, 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 the, the Lord wants us to use those gifts. They're there for us for a purpose. And so we need to get out and use those things the, the gift of a word of wisdom in a situation where it, they're very simple things, but we serve a God. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, if you have given your life to the Lord and you're abiding in him, he's abiding in you, you have the knowledge of the whole universe within you, right? God is, he created it all. So if he created it all, he's in you. The knowledge of the universe is there. Amen. So what's a word of wisdom? It's God coming into a situation, speaking to you, the knowledge which is already within you through him, and bringing wisdom into a situation that's not manly wisdom, that's, that's godly wisdom. It's not earthly. Word of knowledge, same thing. It's knowledge of a situation that you can no, no, no way have knowledge of in the natural, but the knowledge of the universe exists within you to bring freedom, to bring deliverance, to unlock, to bring wisdom into a situation where there's no other way but God. Amen? Yeah. Mark six seventeen says, These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. <laughs> thought that was kind of fitting after Adam's word last week. I don't know. If I would, Ian and I have been really struggling with this, whether we would let the snake try and handle us safely, as, as was directed in those 10 steps. I don't, I think that, yeah, I think that, I think that Ian and I said we would just run and hope that we were with the slowest one there. <laughs> so, so they will be able to handle snakes with safety. They will drink anything poisonous. It won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Amen? So we need to practice using the gifts of the Spirit. It's not for just in here. It's for out there, guys. It's for out there. We need to be every day being aware. It's that awareness where the interruptions come, and we say, okay, Lord, is this one of those moments? Is this a moment where you want to invade in this person's life and bring deliverance, to bring freedom, to bring healing? Amen? And the fifth point, so practice using the gifts of the Spirit, the fifth point is to share the gospel. Take the opportunity to share the gospel with people because it is the gospel that is the power of salvation. Amen? Yeah. 
it, it's amazing to see that too in action. When you have people who are com- in complete disbelief, they have no idea who God is, what he's about, don't believe anything with them, and then to see the word of God go. And as the gospel is shared, as the good news is shared, to see the lights come on and to see people, oh, and to see the Father draw them and reveal it to them. It's, it's an amazing thing. So take the opportunity to share the gospel. Helping people without the gospel is reduced to social justice. And that is, it's a good thing, but it's not a God thing. We are carriers of the kingdom of God. Jesus said in that clip, when you go, declare the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we are called to be carriers of the kingdom of God. And so if we go in without the gospel, without the good news of the kingdom, without the good news of salvation, without the good news of healing and deliverance, we're just on a social justice campaign. Amen? And we are called, we are called to be carriers of the kingdom, to share the good news, to bring people to know the Father. St. Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. But sometimes we do need to use words. And it's in that. There's something that happens as we, as we share it, as we share our testimony, because it's the one thing that we have that no one can take away from you. They can say, oh, I don't believe the scripture. I don't believe that the Bible is relevant. I don't believe it's real. I believe it was written by God, but when you share your testimony, they can't deny your testimony. Amen? And so as we preach the gospel to people, Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God to work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentiles. And then in Romans 15, 18, 18, it says, he says, Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, gifts of the Spirit, and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem to Illicrim. Amen? So, Back to the, the chosen clip, and I mentioned this earlier. In Second Peter, Peter's talking to the church, and he says, look, guys, you have everything that you need inside of you. He mentioned the whole knowledge of the universe, everything that God has. It's, it says in John, he gives the spirit without limits. There's no, that means I, I, it's not hard to figure out what that means. It means there's no limits to what is here, what is available for us. And we, we don't really understand the full dynamic and the full weight of what God has given us and, and graced us with. Amen? So we have everything that we need for this life. And Jesus made a way for that. He's the one that made a way for us to have that. Luke chapter 19, verse 37. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives. It's a great, it's a great picture that you... Uh, I wish I could go on the trip this year, but just to, see, to be there and to see it. So as, as Jesus is descending down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And it goes on to talk about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem in that moment. I think it was probably partly him. He, he then prophesied 50 years into the future the destruction of Jerusalem. But I think it was more than that that he wept. He had a compassion for the people. He saw the people. And he saw what he was going to have to go through. At, at that time, you know, it's, it's the parallel passages in John chapter 12. The scripture says that all, all things had come into his understanding at that time. And he wept with compassion. And then in John 12, the account in John 12 through 12, verse 37 says, but despite all the miraculous signs that Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe. And he goes on to talk about how Isaiah prophesied that they wouldn't. And yet, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Amen? Amen. Jesus made a way for us. I'm going to close out with talking a little bit about a, a group called the Moravians. Um, 15th century Europe. They were 50 years before Martin Luther. They were the, the first of the Protestant groups that popped up in, in Europe in protest to some of the tenets of the Catholic faith. And they were the first, and then they were the largest Protestant missionary, largest, um, largest scale Protestant missionary groups and pioneers of the modern missionary movement. And they went through years of where things, things were going really well for them, then they, then they were persecuted uh, by the Catholic Church and ended up fleeing. And in 1727, they resettled in a place in Germany. And for 100 years, they had 24-7 prayer. Pretty amazing to think about. We think IHOP, you know, they've been going for like 20 years out there. And, that, and that's, that's a lot. But these guys had over 100 years of 24-7 prayer, round the clock, and out of that, you know, and it was amazing what happened as they, as they were scattered and resettled. What happened in that time in the beginning of the 1700s was they had a visitation of the Holy Spirit. And things began to change for them. And they, they transitioned out of being a persecuted group to growing again and to become that missions group and sending people around the world. The very first Moravian missionaries went to the Caribbean island of St. Thomas, which is very near and dear to our heart, that we were planning on going out and doing a lot in the Caribbean islands. That's where the Lord's called us to in this season of time. And they went there to minister as slaves because there was no other way to reach the slaves, even willing to sell themselves into slavery. So I'm just going to close with this story, and then we're going to pray. The Moravians had learned the secret of loving the souls of men was found in loving the Savior of men. 
October 8, 1732, a Dutch ship left Copenhagen Harbor, bound for the Danish West Indies. On board were the first two Moravian missionaries, John Leonard Dober, a potter, and David Nietzschman, a carpenter. Both were skilled speakers and ready to sell themselves into slavery to reach the slaves of the West Indies. It's in that moment as the ship sailed away and left the harbor and they were there waiting, or the people were there to see them off, that they birthed this cry that became the cry of the Moravian missions for centuries to come. And as the people asked, why, why are you doing this? Why, why are you selling yourself into slavery? We're never going to see you again. And the cry that came as the ship departed was that so the lamb that was slain would receive the reward for his suffering. So the lamb that was slain would receive the reward for his suffering. He paid a price for us. He paid a price so that we could have abundant life, but not so that we could keep it for ourselves, so that we could live a life filled with compassion, filled with the love of God, that we could lavish his love, that we could be his hands and feet, that we could lavish his love on the people of the world that need it. so that the lamb would receive the due reward of his suffering. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, I thank you that this morning celebrate Palm Sunday. Celebrate the, the journey of your life. To the point where you were willing to lay down your life. To suffer and die. So that we could have abundant life. And we're so thankful. Eternally grateful if you never did another thing for us. We could be grateful for eternity. But you're a loving and compassionate and gracious God. You love the people that you created, the world and everything in it that you created and died for. Thank you, Father, that you're calling us to live a life of compassion. And I pray this morning, just as your word goes, that you would touch people afresh with your spirit. Holy Spirit, right now, ask that the wind of your spirit would blow on us. 
that you would bring a fresh courage, a fresh boldness to bring renewed life, breathe life in the dead places, in the dark places, in the deep places that need your life so that we can be a people of compassion, that we can be a people of love, that we can be a people of grace and mercy. And we can lavish your love on a dying world. I pray for each life here that you would birth something fresh in their hearts, that you would stir something up, that as we go out from this place, that we would stir up the gift of God within us. I just want to ask if there's anyone here this morning who has never, never given your life to the Lord, never said yes to Jesus, there's an opportunity for you today. So we're going to pray and pray all together as a church. Um, just wherever you are, if that's if you identify with that, never made Jesus Lord of your life. I encourage you to do that. It's the best decision that you'll ever make. So let's pray, church. Dear Jesus, I thank you for the sacrifice that you have made in laying down your life so that I could have life. And I make you Lord. I believe that you're the Son of God and that you died for me. I thank you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, just find Pastor Rod. It's a glorious day. Amen. Amen.